0: And now we will have the sermon brought to us today by our elder, Mr. Steve Andrews, entitled Day of Atonement, His Mercy Endures Forever. Well, greetings, brethren, on this God's holy day, as he commands us to fast in front of Him, to come before Him without any eating or drinking, to praise and honor Him. It's been my privilege in the last couple of years to go to Oklahoma City and give this message, and it's, uh, it was kind of interesting this morning to be able to lay there in the bed and meditate and think. And, prepare this message and listen to the thunder you know the power of God is amazing and profound as he uh, has created this earth and with all of the things that are on it and we have this blessing of being able to live here and he has created a series of of days of holy days that he has called his children to participate in. This is one of them. This day has a past. It's given to the children of Israel. This day has a present. As we know, our high priest stands performing the, the duties of the high priest today in heaven. And brethren, it has a future, a powerful future, that will call all of the earth to repentance and bring all mankind mankind, to the understanding of who God is and who his Christ is. Normally we open up in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, but I, I want to I show you something in Joel, the 2nd chapter. We're so familiar with this, this chapter when we read it in the Feast of Trumpets, where it says, Blow you the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord comes, for it's nigh at hand. And we know what that's going to bring, because mankind is going to come to the brink of utter destruction. He's going to come to the time in this world, as Jesus said, if he didn't intervene, all of mankind would be obliterated. And so Christ will have to intervene. It will be a day of darkness, it says, and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness and a morning, Spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong. There has not been ever like. And he talks about that time in which he will have to come back. Because mankind is about ready to destroy themselves. And he's going to have to intervene. Well, let's turn to verse 12. And let's see what God calls mankind to do. And I think this has a fitting place on the Day of Atonement. He says, therefore also now say, says the Lord, turn you even to me with your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. This day, this day of atonement, is couched between a time of great war, great darkness and gloominess, a time of great trouble upon this earth as has never happened before, and a time of great joy and happiness. You know, it says in, about the Feast of Tabernacles that you shall rejoice in that day as we look forward to that time. And here it is, the Day of Atonement in which we fast. We set aside those physical things that we depend upon, the water that we drink on a daily basis, the food that we eat on a daily basis for one day to come before God and he says turn you even unto me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning he's going to ask he's going to tell those people this is what you need to do you need to be keeping the day of atonement and I think they're going to come and they're going to want to keep the day of atonement after they've come through the tribulation that they're going to come through. Rend your heart and not your garments. Turn to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Slow to anger. And of great kindness and repents of Him of evil. Now His wrath is going to be poured out upon the earth, but He's going to be merciful. He's going to intervene. He's going to stop all of the dying. And he's going to put his his kingdom in Jerusalem. And it's going to go out from there. The truth and healing is going to go out from there. Who knows if he will return repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. And that's exactly what we're doing today. You knew this was the day of atonement. A time to come before God. A time to fast. A time of solemn assembly. Leviticus 23. Where all of God's holy days are talked about. And the importance of each one of those. And God expects His children... To observe these days. Verse 26, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And you shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement. To make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. As we begin to read through these verses, I'd like for you to count how many times that particular verse, that particular set of words, make an atonement, is said. Because it It seems to be extremely important on this particular day. This this word is 3722. It is different than Kippur. It's a little different. Let me read to you what 3722 is. It's Kippur. I don't know exactly how to pronounce this. The primary meaning of this root word is to cover. That's an interesting definition of this word, to cover. In time to come, it meant to expiate, make an atonement, make reconciliation, placate, to cancel. It conveys the sense of appeasing, cleansing, disannulling, forgiving, pacifying, being merciful, purging, and uh, putting off. The verb probably is derived from the noun kippur, kippur or kippar is one of the most important words in the Bible. Its first usage, usage appears in Genesis 6.14 where Noah is given instructions to cover the ark inside and outside with pitch. Isn't that interesting? That word is used first right there to cover that. It's a cover, to cover. We'll see how that works out here to make an atonement, let's go back to 28, to make an atonement for you before your Lord, your God, for whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people, and whatsoever soul it be that does any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people, now, if you had a red-letter Bible, which I have just gotten one just recently, these are all in red. This is God talking. This is, this is not Moses here talking. Moses in Deuteronomy talked, and then God would you know, interject in there. But in the book of Leviticus, God is giving instructions to Moses. And this would all be in red. He says, you shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings, it shall be a Sabbath, unto you, a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls. And he's very specific that we start this on the ninth day of the month, at even, from even unto even, shall you celebrate your Sabbath. So we start it at sundown, at the beginning of this holy day, and fast to the end of this holy day. Let's turn uh, to, um, let's look at the, this part about fasting here. And I'm not going to cover any of Isaiah 58 today, but I would like to go to James, the fourth chapter, because there is a, James makes some very interesting points about our relationship to God, our fasting, beginning in verse 6. He says in verse 5, actually, Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, The spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? But he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. It's important to understand that fasting humbles us, doesn't it? I mean, if we go without water for very long, we die. If we refuse to eat, we die. He says, "Submit yourselves, therefore, before God. Uh, uh, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep." Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. It always helps us spiritually to come before the Lord and fast and pray. And you can, as Barnabas already read in Matthew, the sixth chapter there, about how we fast, how we come before God. We don't ring the bells. We don't, uh, you know, have a certain countenance. We come as though we had not been fasting, but before the Lord. He knows that we are fasting. He understands our heart. He sees that we are willing to come before him. In Leviticus, the 16th chapter, he gave instructions to Israel as to how to observe this day and the things that he wanted the high priest to do and all of the different things that would bring the nation of Israel in close relationship with the one that had chosen them through Abraham Isaac and Jacob and now they have become a great nation and now he had come to this great nation and was giving them this instruction as to how he wanted them to come to him, and how they were to um, do certain things to please this one who was their God, their creator, and the one that had brought them out of slavery. And the Lord God said in, in verse six, 16, verse 1, Lord God, The Lord spoke unto Moses, after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron, your brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. I'm going to go through that here in a little bit. I'm going to skip over this because this is an extremely important part of this service, that area where the priest would walk into behind that veil, understood stand at that particular time that no one entered behind that veil except for the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. And even then, the legends or whatever you want to call it are that they used to tie a rope on the poor guy when he went in there just in case that he didn't make that he did something wrong it was that serious God took it that serious because he had just killed Aaron's two sons for doing something that they shouldn't have been doing thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for sin offering and ram for a burnt offering he should He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh. He shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen miter, shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and shall put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering Which he, um, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. So here we have he is to make an atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats: one one lot for the Lord and the other for the Azazel. It says scapegoat in the King James. It really means goat of departure. I hope that fly is a fly of departure here. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for sin offering. And the goat on which the lot fell, the scapegoat, which he presented alive before the Lord, to make an atonement with him. It's interesting that that one is also to make an atonement. And to let them go for a scapegoat or a go to departure into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off of the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. He had to follow the instructions Exactly. He had to follow the instructions exactly and do it in the order in which it is written in here, that he die not. I think, I don't know that there was anyone else that came or succumbed to this after his two sons died. I think all of the priests understood that they were to take this very seriously. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with the finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is... For the people and bring the blood within the veil And do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock And sprinkle it upon the mercy seat before the mercy seat And he shall make an atonement for the holy place So he had to make an atonement for himself He had to cover, expiate himself first And then came the holy place Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goes to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out. To have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. And shall take of the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat and put it in the horns of the altar. And he shall sprinkle the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of reconciling the holy place, And that actually, I went ahead and looked that up because I was kind of interested. Is that the same word that has been used all along through this chapter 16? Sure it is. So, and when he has made an end of making an atonement for the holy place and the tabernacle, the congregation, the altar, he shall bring the live goat... And Aaron shall lay his hand, both his hands upon the her, head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions and their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and send him away at the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities upon the land not inhabited, and shall let go the goat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he's put on when he went into the holy place and he shall leave them there he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people to make an atonement for himself and for the people it's interesting that time and time again to satisfy God because of sin all of these offerings had to be made At this particular time and I was was thinking about this because of all of the the different things that have to be done from the the, the killing of the the bullock the killing of the goat the killing of the and the the letting go of this because God wants to walk and be with his children but he, he abhors and hates sin This is so that he can be close to his children. It is a time in which he's making reconciliation through these sacrifices for the children of Israel. It's interesting, and, uh, and I was just thinking about this, is there something else that's kind of kind of similar to this? Let's go to De- Deuteronomy, the, the 23rd chapter. It's not because he doesn't like anything unclean. All the way through the Bible, anything unclean, God rejects. In verse 13, and remember, he hates sin. And he thinks of it just as this that I'm reading you right here. You shall have a paddle upon your weapon, and it shall be when you Will ease yourself abroad, shall dig therewith, and you shall turn back and cover that which comes from you. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of the camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore shall your camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in you and turn away from you. Our sins are like filthy rags, it says in the Bible. And yet God wants to have a relationship with his creation. He loves his children, but he hates our sins. He abhors and hates our sins. The Day of Atonement is a time of reconciling between us and him. And he has set, he set this elaborate set of sacrifices and things to make an atonement, to cover up those sins. You know, a sin cannot be taken back. That's the whole point. Once a sin is done, it's done. A grievous sin affects many people. You know, a murder affects not just the person that was Killed, because they don't know but they're dead but all the family around them and the relatives around them and if it it has a ripple effect that cannot be taken back it's it's something the be that that's there okay David found that out didn't he he found out that even though he was a king, and he committed adultery and killed a man because of that adulterous affair, the God punished him for that sin. He could not be taken back. He could not bring that man back. He could not change that situation, that adulterous situation. All David could do was repent and ask God for forgiveness. And so God covers, makes an atonement. We make an atonement. We pray. We ask God to forgive us. And he forgives us because his mercy endures forever. Let's go on and let's read the rest of this as we finish up here in, with this very intricate thing that the, the high priest has to do had to do on a yearly basis for the children of Israel while the tabernacle and then the temple were in service. And the fat of the sin offering sh- shall he burn upon uh, verse twenty five upon the altar, and he let go the goat of the, uh, the um, scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water. Afterwards, come into the camp, and the bullock of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering whose blood uh, was brought in to make an atonement in the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp. They shall burn in the fire, and their skins, and their flesh, and their dung. And he that burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in the water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp. And uh, Barnabas read the, the 29 through 34. But in, if you'll notice, several times verse 30, make an atonement for you. Once again, make an atonement in verse 33. Make an atonement for the tabernacle. Make an atonement for the priest. To make an atonement for the children of Israel for all, verse 34, for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded him. So we see this very exact um, sacrificial um, ceremony that was performed was to make an atonement for the sins of the children of Israel. So let's, now let's turn to 1 John. Now, we know that our high priest sits at the right hand of the Father today. Jesus Christ is the high priest, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. And he sits at the right hand of the Father today, and he is performing the spiritual day of atonement right now, or whenever, you know, around the world is it as it needs to be performed before the Father. In 1 John, the, the, uh, the first chapter, beginning in verse, verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So you see, the high priest and all of those things have now been transferred to the heavenly realm, Jesus Christ, our high priest, and the blood that was sacrificed... By him, now cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's important to understand that we need to go before God, confess our sins to him, and he will forgive us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Continuing in chapter 2, he says, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. A perfect man, Jesus Christ, walked this earth and did not sin. We are not perfect. We do sin. But we have an advocate, it says. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation. And this word means atonement for our sins. He is our atonement. And not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When the whole world understands the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made, I mean, not just the few Christians around the world, but all the world, and they become to realize that sacrifice that He has made and the, and the importance of it and the hope that they have through that. It will be a glorious time in the kingdom of God as they come and they keep this day in the kingdom. Let me see how many more. I want to read those too. Now in verse in chapter 4 verse 10 In chapter 4 verse 10 once again just the same essentially the same word here uh, in fact let me read let me re- read in beginning of verse 7 Beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God He that loves not knows not God for God is love And this was manifest, the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Interesting, isn't it? That we might live through Him. He says, here is love. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the atonement, the propitiation for our sins. The atonement for our sins. Very interesting wording in Romans, the third chapter. For those who haven't seen this before, and it's quite interesting how this is worded. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. You know, the the Greek writers and the translators use this word again, and yet it's a totally Greek word. And in fact, The word propitiation here actually means mercy seat. Whom God has set forth to be a mercy seat through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus it's interesting, all of those symbols, all of that stuff came back down, and Jesus now embodies all of that. Embodies all of those things, including that seat that was made, that mercy seat. Turn to Ex- Exodus, the 25th chapter. When I saw that, I thought, you know, I've got to go back. And I've got to read about the mercy seat. I, I've got to see how that was put together, how that was made, how that fits in. He says in verse 10, "You said, Make an ark of shittim wood. two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. A very fine wood, overlaid with beautiful, solid gold. You overlay it with that pure gold. Within and without shall you overlay it, and shall make upon it a crown of gold round about. And you shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be on one side of it, and two rings on the other side. And you shall make staves of shit and wood, and overlay them with gold you shall put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark that the ark may be borne with them. And the staves shall be the rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you and you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And you shall make two carabims of gold, of beaten work, shall you make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. So we have this seat over this box with the carabins on it. And he said, Make one carabin on one side and then the other on the other. And even of the mercy seat shall you make the carabins on the two ends thereof. And the carabins shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall be "...shall look one to another, towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And you shall put the mercy seat upon the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and there I will meet with you, and I will commune with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of which things I will give you in commandment unto the children of Israel." with all those things that were being made that were physical, God had told Moses, you've got to make sure that all your dimensions and all that you make of this tabernacle are perfect. Not only that, but he gave his spirit to some of these craftsmen so they could make it perfect. And it must have been beautiful with all the the tapestries and all of the things that were in there and the pure gold. It must have been in a, a beautiful, beautiful place. But he told Moses this because he says, in heaven, where I reside is identical and I want it identical where I am going to come down and meet with you. I have to have this identical where I'm going to come down, it, the physical has to match the spiritual that's in heaven. So when Christ went to heaven to become the high priest in heaven, he probably was very familiar with those, you know, with all of that stuff, and very familiar with it. What was down in the tabernacles below, of the, ta- uh, the temple that was in uh, at the time that he was there. The mercy seat Jesus is the atonement he's the mercy seat what sets inside is that is the, um, the Ten Commandments which reside in us and he resides in us I mean all of those things you, there's so much to this that we could draw different analogies and different things. And maybe we really won't understand it 100% until the day that we are in His kingdom and He can show us all of the glory and the goodness and the things that He has done. Turn with me to Psalms 103 because part of the message today is the mercy that God has for all of humanity, and just giving his son, but realize, as we've we've said, God loves His creation, but He hates the sin that we commit. He says in verse in in, in Psalm one o three, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits." That's why we're here today, to learn about the benefits of following God, of keeping His holy days, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment, for all that are oppressed, he, has, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He's had mercy on all of us. Down through the ages. For as the heaven is high above, so is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. With the sin sacrifice that was given and the goat that had the sins... He removed everything out of the way of the Israelites so that he could dwell with them. And he has removed, as he says, I have removed as far as the east is from the west, our transgressions. That's what happens when we go to God and ask for repentance. And we lay it before the very throne of mercy, who is Jesus Christ. And as our advocate... He goes before the Father and says, Forgive them, Father, of their sins. And they are forgiven. It says He forgives as far as the east is from the west. They don't meet. (laughs) Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear Him, for He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field, and so He flourishes. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and the place thereof shall... Uh, know it no more for the mercy of the lord is everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness and unto the children's children to such as keep his com- uh, his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them the lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over it bless the lord you his angels that excel in strength that do his commandments and hearken unto the voice of his in this word. Bless you, the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all his places, and his dominions. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Go to 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. Beginning in verse 14. He tells us to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believes with the infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, And I will be their God, and they will be my people. You have a great blessing today at being here on the Day of Atonement. Because we are his children and his people. And we have a great future ahead of us. And he dwells in us. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Even on the Day of Atonement, the teaching is to put out the unclean, the sins, and all of that. We, we get that at the first of the year, don't we? During the Days of Unleavened Bread. But we also, in the Passover, in the Days of Unleavened Bread, but also he reminds us on this Day of Atonement to put the unclean thing out, to put all sins out. And he says, I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty these are powerful words that impress us with what God is doing there's going to come a time when the whole earth is going to rejoice in what is called the Jubilee year we we'll turn to Leviticus the 25th chapter we don't know How far into the millennium that they will celebrate this. And I don't know if they've ever really had a jubilee year. That's what it shows in this book. Whether the Israelites ever celebrated this the way that it, that it should have been celebrated. But there will come a time in the kingdom when the jubilee will be celebrated. And liberty will be proclaimed throughout all of the land. It says so here in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. He says, You shall cause the trumpet, verse 9, of of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. So this is another thing that's added to the day of atonement. The jubilee. And you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be a jubilee unto you. And you shall return every man unto his possessions. You shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall, shall that 50th year be unto you. You shall not sow, neither reap that which grows of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. You shall eat the increase thereof in the field. In the year of this jubilee you shall return every man unto his possession. And if you sell aught unto your neighbor, or buyest aught of your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of the years after the jubilee shall you buy of, of your neighbor, and according to the number of years of the fruits he shall sell unto you. According to the multitude of the years you shall increase the price thereof, and according to the fewness of years you shall diminish the price of it. For according to the number of the years and the fruits does he sell it unto you. You shall not therefore oppress one another. But you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Wherefore you shall do my statutes, keep my judgments, and do them, and you shall dwell in the land safely. Can you imagine a land in which <laughs> one day you will go back to the original possessions that you had? You'll have to you know you'll have to make compensation, but you'll go back to that. Men will live in safety. They will follow the commandments, the judgments, the statutes of God in that land. It will be a beautiful time that men will have come out of the horror and they will learn of the loving mercy of their God as he will give them that safety and provide a joyous time in the kingdom. Nothing would be good if Satan was constantly around us. Even today, we struggle, don't we? We know that he is influencing the world. We know that he is out there doing things that... You know, I I think even, even young people who are taking drugs are being influenced by demons because they're doing things so horrible that nobody can even speak. And I think that the demons and Satan are out trying to, to destroy people. It says in, in, the, in Peter, 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, Humble yourselves there, therefore unto the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in time. We humble ourselves today on his day of atonement. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion and walks about seeking whom he may devour. He has not been, tra- he has not been chained up, he's not been put away. He's still out there. And We need the relationship, the close relationship with God. He has no power over us, but sometimes He can affect our lives. He says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but the God of all grace, who has called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that we have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's what God is doing for us. And if we trust him we don't have to fear Satan but the world would be better off wouldn't it and I think this is a time in which Satan is going to be put away I mean it seems like this world cannot exist without having this evil being put in the abyss in chapter 20 verse 2 He laid hold On the dragon Interesting the names that Satan has He's a dragon He's a, an old serpent He's called the devil And he's Satan And yet at one time He was Lucifer He was a beautiful being Who turned And tried to take the throne of God and ever since, God has allowed him to do his little thing. But the day is coming, the day is coming when he will be put in his place. And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for just a short season. And I hope it's a short season. And I hope not many people pay much attention to him. We have a high priest who is at the right hand of the God on high. In Hebrews, the eighth chapter, as we look at the high priest in heaven and his work that he's doing today, as we finish this message on the on the day of atonement here. He says now these things we have spoken. This is the son. We have such a high priest. Who was set on the right hand. Of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister. Of the sanctuary. Of the true tabernacle. He is. The minister. Of the sanctuary. Of the true tabernacle. Which the Lord pitched to not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve not unto the example the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, said he, that you make all things according to the pattern showed to you in the mount but now has he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises it's going on right now brethren right in heaven on this day of atonement we have a high priest who is at his office doing his work as our advocate For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the day comes, says the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, said the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they, shall, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant he has made, the first old. Now that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish. In chapter 10, a few verses here, beginning in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Let us hold this this truth without wavering until, until we die or we're resurrected in the kingdom of God. You know, in the twinkling of an eye. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as we see the day approaching. As we see the evil in the world, we need... To come to God on His holy days. We need to be together as a family. To share in the things that He has given us. The blessings of His truth. The blessing of His Spirit. The blessing of the high priest. Who sits at the right hand of the Father. Our, our Savior Jesus Christ. In Hebrews the 12th chapter. Beginning in verse 22. But you are come unto the Mount Zion. Unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the saints of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See, even in that, the blood of sprinkling, the heavenly things. See that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that, that spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, and now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as the things that are made. That those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom, we receiving a kingdom, saints, brothers, and sisters, which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Wow, powerful words, brother. We're all going to part now for the Feast of Tabernacles, and we're going to rejoice in that time. We're going to have good messages. We're going to have good things to eat. We'll have the rejoicing that comes from the from fellowshipping on the feast at the Feast of Tabernacles. But I want to leave something with you that I, I have to admit that since I'm not of the Levitical priesthood, I, I'm not sure I'm authorized to, to read these words, but I love them, I think they're the, some of the most beautiful words in the Bible for you and me you and I, however that goes in English um, in the way that God wants to bless us there, there is God as I say, God done, hates our sins but he loves us and he truly wants us to be blessed and to understand that he, his love is so great his mercy is so great and so as we go to the feast and we participate and we learn about God from those that are bringing messages there I want you to be to, to, to listen to this blessing that comes it's a priestly blessing that God commanded Levitical priesthood and it's found in Numbers, the sixth chapter and beginning in verse four, uh, 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. And I wrote at the bottom of that, we have that name now as the children of the living God.